Welcome to Chiropractic Science, where you get to hear interviews with leading chiropractic researchers from around the world. Hear about chiropractic research from the authors in plain English, not through the media, nor a middleman. My name is Dr. Dean Smith, and I am the host of Chiropractic Science. I am an associate clinical professor in the Department of Kinesiology and Health at Miami University, and I'm also a chiropractor in Eaton, Ohio. My research interests relate to understanding how chiropractic affects motor control and human performance. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing Dr. Anthony Lisi, and this is our 40th episode. But before we get on to the interview, I wanted to thank all of you who have subscribed to Chiropractic Science, and I'm especially appreciative to all of you who have contributed five-star review on iTunes iTunes really helps others find out about chiropractic science. So if you like the show, please take a second and write a review. It will support chiropractors everywhere. Please consider making a contribution to chiropractic science to keep these podcasts going. You can do so on our website, either by making a donation or by purchasing the evidence-based patient education slides presentation at chiropracticscience.com. We are also on social media, including Facebook and Instagram, so please connect with us there. All right, on to the podcast. Well, let's get on to the interview with Dr. Anthony Lisi. Dr. Anthony Lisi is the Chiropractic Program Director for the U.S. Veterans Health Administration, overseeing all national programmatic issues related to the integration of chiropractic clinical services, education, and research. He is also an Associate Research Scientist at the Yale Center for Medical Informatics, Yale University School of Medicine. He has authored numerous peer-reviewed publications on topics including low back pain management, spinal manipulation, interprofessional education, and chiropractic services. Dr. Lisi received the American Chiropractic Association's 2015 Academician of the Year Award and the 2017 Chiropractor of the Year Award. Dr. Lisi, I'm excited to have you on the Chiropractic Science Podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, Dr. Smith. I appreciate the chance to be here. Absolutely. Well, can you tell us uh, how you became interested in becoming a chiropractor? Sure. Chiropractic is actually a second career for me. When I was an undergraduate, uh, I I, um, had thought of going to chiropractic school. I had a... uh, a good friend who had enrolled in chiropractic college at the time. And I didn't have any real personal experience being treated or, or uh, have any, um, you know, unique experiences as a patient, but just was interested in this as a, as a profession. But my career took a few different turns and I wound up working in a totally unrelated field when I graduated from, from uh, university. And then it was only later on that I was able to, um, have the opportunity to make a career change and and approached it as uh, as a second career and I was much more focused and and uh, committed to uh, becoming a chiropractor at that time. That's great. So, um, can you tell us uh, about your experience, maybe through chiropractic school and and what was that like, and then how you got to be where you're at? Sure. So I went to chiropractic school at Palmer West in San Jose, and I uh, became interested in academic or scholarly activities while I was at Palmer through some uh, teachers who were mentors, uh, uh, Dr. Bill Meeker, Robert Cooperstein, and some others. So 
after graduation, I practiced uh, in private practice in San Francisco for about three, uh, three and a half years. And then I had the opportunity to, to teach as a, as a part-time faculty member at Palmer West. And I, and I, that's how I first started, um, learning more about research methodology and, and, um, was able to be mentored and brought on, uh, as a, as an investigator on, on some projects that were taking place and really just became, uh, so interested and, and focused on the idea of having the, the connection or the, or the, the combination of clinical work with some research and some academic activities. And I, I really aim to build my career in that direction, even though it, it could be a challenge to try to balance a private practice with, with doing research or scholarly work. Well, just to fast forward for a while, I, I wound up uh, in, in, I practiced in San Francisco for about eight or, or nine years, and then I relocated back east and began a practice um, while also teaching at University of Bridgeport. And that's when the EA program had just been announced. It was something that I was very interested in. I had always aimed to work in a, an integrated setting, in a hospital setting, and had even done some informal hospital-based training rotations while I was uh, still out in California. So I was fortunate that one of the VA facilities that first began hiring was uh, in West Haven, Connecticut, and I applied for that position and was um, fortunate to be selected. And then over the next couple of years, gradually transitioned out of private practice and became uh, full-time in VA. So that was um, sort of the pathway that brought me in that direction. And, and I'm often asked about how I obtained the VA position. And, and a lot of young chiropractors now who have interest in those types of, of positions, whether in VA or in private hospital settings. And for me, what, I, what, what worked for me was that that background that I had that included clinical practice as well as some some beginning publications and, and background in, in some research and scholarly work and academics, that turned out to be, as I was told later by the, the folks who hired me, one of the things that really was attractive to them. And uh, the VA positions are, are very competitive. Uh, the acceptance rate is under 1%. Uh, usually, so in when I applied, there were 125 applicants for the position that I got. And those types of attributes, uh, that blend of clinical research and academics, really helps uh, an applicant stand out. So, so in some way, my career was preparing me for this, even though I couldn't have predicted it happening when I first started. Yeah, that's uh, that's quite the journey. Um, and. I'm I'm really keen uh, to hear that the research actually made a significant difference. Uh, that's terrific. I that's uh, amazing that the VA was uh, looking at that and and seeking someone who had that kind of skill set. So, and I definitely want to dive into research that you've done uh, over the years and and concentrate on perhaps some of the uh, issues dealing with the VA. 
Now, you've published in a variety of excellent journals, including Pain Medicine, Spine, Spine Journal, Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine, JMPT, and and many others. So let's try to find out what you've been up to uh, during your career, uh, your involvement with the VA, uh, some of the research that you've uh, done over the years that might help chiropractors and their patients uh, understand what's going on uh, with the VA. So if we could get started uh, on this trek, uh, I know chiropractors and their patients want to know more about chiropractic in the VA system. So you already told us a little bit about uh, your entry into the VA. Could you tell us how you transitioned from being a provider to being the the director of the program? Sure. So initially, VA began the program by by starting clinics at uh, at twenty four different medical centers. So at that point in time, there was only a a loose um, organizational structure at central office in. And, and when you when you think of it, a large system, a large healthcare system like VA, ha, for to add twenty twenty four new providers, that's a very small number. So there really wasn't um, a, a great deal of of a need for a central coordination. There was there was some there was central policy on how this was implemented, but at first it was just to get these these chiropractors on board and get them started with clinical care. And then VA convened a field advisory committee to uh, to make recommendations and provide input and guidance to central office. And at that time, I was selected to be the the chair of that committee. And ag- again, interestingly, the the, um, the the administrators at central office who pulled together that committee looked at the existing group of 20-odd DCs who were hired at that time. And and again, the fact that I had some research and, and academic background they thought was a strength in that regard. So so that's why I was named the chair of that. And we, we functioned that way for a number of years until the central office position was created as the program director. And then at that point, I was selected for the that position. I'm still physically based at the hospital in Connecticut. And I split my time. I do work roughly half time for the VA Connecticut Hospital as the section chief of the chiropractic clinic there, um, and roughly half time uh, uh, for central office as the program director. And I'm fortunate now in Connecticut over the years. At first, I was the only DC at the Connecticut Hospital, but now we actually have five full time chiropractors working at the VA Connecticut facility and. We have a residency program and some postdoctoral fellows as well. So I have a very a great team working with me at Connecticut, and I'm uh, able to to do that as well as the the national role. And it's actually been helpful to to be remaining in the field and 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 in clinic. So even even at this point, I still do roughly uh, one and a half days of clinic per week. And VA often structures its program directors in that manner so that rather than bring everyone into Washington to work in central office in Washington, it's very common to have program directors of various disciplines and, and, and 
national leads be uh, be located out in, in the field, so decentralized essentially and field based, so that they they keep that connection with the field providers that they're uh, leading. So it's really a, a great opportunity, and the so so over time that 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 central position has has grown more as we've grown more DCs. And I think I mentioned that early on there were only 24 DCs and now we're up to over 160 DCs that are working at um, 97 different VA facilities. And we have um, about six or seven others that are in development right now that we will be at. Wow, that's terrific. Um one of the things I wanted to ask you to talk about today was just uh, if you could provide us with an overview of the status of chiropractic in the VA. Uh, I know you've uh, done a couple of uh, research articles uh, on this topic, including one in, in medical care. Uh, but some questions maybe to think about uh, when did chiropractic become available in the VA? How many veterans do we know are being served by chiropractors? Uh, what kinds of things are changing? Perhaps we can start with some of those questions. Sure. So chiropractic care first became available in, in-house at VA facilities on site in, in uh, late 2004. And it was in response to a legislation, uh, legislative authorization that, that um, authorized VA to begin this. And the, the threshold was set that there should be one chiropractic clinic in-house at a VA facility in each of its geographic regions. And at that time, there were 21 geographic regions. So essentially, the minimum was that there needed to be a minimum of one in-house chiropractor, um, or, or sorry, of 21 across the nation. And initially, there was some uh, mixed uh, mixed opinion of that. So back in this law was enacted back in 1999, 2001, that's a follow-up law. At that time, it was not very common to have chiropractors working in, in major hospital systems. And we know that the chiropractic profession has uh, made a lot of inroads to working with mainstream healthcare, but in many ways had, especially back then, was still more of a separate profession. And so because of that, there were some challenges with implementing the program. There were some decision makers who thought this was a good idea and a good option for veterans and others who who thought that it wasn't such a good idea and had more, more of a skepticism about the role of chiropractors. So that was to be expected. And, and over time, the, the chiropractors that were brought in were able to, to demonstrate successful clinical outcomes and, and successful partnerships and collaboration with others at their facilities. And we, we did a qualitative assessment of this, uh, as you mentioned, that was published in Medical Care in 14, where we interviewed, I think it was 118 different stakeholders at seven different VA facilities who had uh, implemented chiropractic clinics and got a very uh, broad and detailed feedback on what people thought. And um, Time and again, what came through is that uh, even though there may have been some folks who had reservations about bringing a chiropractor on board at first, 
after the successful performance of a DC, uh, of a DC who had high clinical acumen, but also was uh, was very skilled in in interprofessional care and collaborative care and essentially just a, a good collegial individual, if that really made a big difference. And so from there, we saw that even though the minimum requirement for VA was set at, at 21 clinics, um, so there was no further mandate for VA to expand the program, but by the end of 2005, that had been reached. Any of the growth that we've seen from 2005 through 2018 has been the organic growth of the program. And um, we've, we've grown on average of about 18% per year in the number of veterans who's, who receive chiropractic care in-house. We ended fiscal year 18 um, serving uh, over 50,000 unique veterans across the country with chiropractic care in-house at those 97 different facilities that I mentioned. But in addition to that, we also provided care to about the same number, just under 50,000 veterans received chiropractic care from private chiropractors as part of the CHOICE program. So, and this is consistent with the way VA is delivering health care in, in all disciplines or across uh, all specialties now is it will be a blend of in-house care that is provided at VA facilities as well as community-based care that VA purchases from community providers. So we see that number uh, or the utilization in that regard going up with with uh, chiropractic use as well. And 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 right now it's, it's about, um, as I said, about equal with the number of veterans receiving care from chiropractors in-house as well as outside. Wow, that's, wow. I, I really like to hear that. I'd love to hear those numbers going up, uh, serving more veterans. That's phenomenal. Uh, so how does a veteran go about accessing chiropractic care? Do they just show up to their VA facility or make a phone call? Uh, what, 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 what does it take for them to see them there? And then what, what about the choice program? How do they get referred to a chiropractor for that? Right. So the initial pathway from the veteran is the same on either side that, that so to access, and I should preface this by saying that the access pathways for veterans to receive care in VA are evolving and VA is moving towards implementing more direct access for various specialties. But, for simplicity's sake for right now, a veteran could access any specialty provider, like, like chiropractic or neurology or physical therapy or rheumatology, whatever, um, by a referral from either his or her primary care provider or from any other provider that they're already seeing in VA. So at some point, the the referral is made to, uh, let's say, for the, to send the veteran for chiropractic care. And if that facility has the chiropractic clinic in-house, they, the veteran gets assigned to be seen in that clinic. And if, if the facility doesn't have chiropractic care in-house or if the veteran lives a very far distance from the nearest facility with chiropractic care, or if the facility's chiropractic clinic is backlogged where we can't get the veteran in in a timely fashion, then the veteran is um, 
is, is then given the option of the choice program uh, to be seen in the community. And, and that process itself is also going through uh, an evolution um, for any either veteran or for any provider who's, who's interested in becoming a community provider for VA. I'd recommend uh, checking the, the website uh, va.gov forward slash community care and there's information for veterans, information for providers, and um, and as as new developments occur in that program, it'll be updated on that site. Great, I really appreciate you going through that. That's uh, that's really helpful. Uh, can you tell us about the VA residency program? It it seems uh, that I've been hearing a lot more about this program uh, here lately. When when did that start, and and how's that going? Yes, that's something that we're really very excited about and, and very proud of the the work of our residency program uh, personnel as well as the residents that have graduated the program. So um, what many um, listeners might not realize is that in addition to being a large healthcare care uh, system to deliver care, VA is, and in fact, VA is the largest integrated healthcare system in the U.S., it's also the largest system that provides clinical training to healthcare providers in the U.S. and um, and a, a, a large number of medical residents and and associated health um, residents and fellows do training in VA facilities. It's the largest uh, example of this in the U.S. So it was a great opportunity for the chiropractic program to dovetail into that to provide advanced training for chiropractors and also to make this an, an interprofessional educational experience that that's really bi-directional. So the VA office of academic affiliations, um, agreed to launch this pilot program, which was, uh, we began back in, uh, academic year, uh, 1415, at, at five different VA facilities with one residency slot at each facility. Um, we planned this for a number of years prior to actually getting the launch. We had a, uh, so my office had convened an advisory group of subject matter experts from the chiropractic profession, uh, the academic world outside of VA, along with some uh, subject matter experts from inside VA and from other disciplines. Uh, that, and since residency training is not mandatory for a chiropractor for licensure, we, we, we decided to model this in a way that was similar to other professions that are similar to that, such as optometry or, or uh, dentistry to some, some regard, so that we, we model this as a one-year program uh, aiming to give advanced training in in complex cases uh, that are uh, collaborative, so co-managed complex cases, along with uh, interprofessional rotations and scholarly activities. So that's the, the, the curriculum is that those three areas: the, the clinical care, interprofessional rotations, and scholarly activities. Um, the residents will rotate through various disciplines in, in each hospital and function just like other residents and other specialties and uh, conduct uh, history or exam and or observe procedures and so on. And the the target 
the end point that we're looking for with this is to train folks who will have the, the advanced competencies that are really desirable to, to uh, practice in a hospital or other medical setting. And I'm, I'm very happy to say that we've, we've, we've really hit the marks with this. So we've so far have had four years of the program complete. So we've had five graduates a year each year, and and each one of our graduates, all twenty of the of the residents, were placed in target positions in hospitals or or medical centers um, with within the first twelve months after their residency completion, and in fact, uh, about. 90% were placed within six months or fewer of, of graduating. So we've seen a great deal of interest in decision makers at hospitals who are seeking to hire chiropractors. It seems that they really view this type of residency training as a strong attribute for an applicant. And we've also seen a great deal of interest among Senior level chiropractic students and recent graduates in applying for this program. We uh, we we often get a we each year we've got a large number of, of highly qualified bright young DCs who apply and uh, so we, we think that there's really a we're, we're really filling an, a need right here that is still very small and 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 should probably grow both in VA and outside of VA and to, to provide more of these opportunities to train our, our new DCs so that they can, they can function and excel at higher levels in these type of systems. And uh, I, I think you could speak to any of the residents who have completed the program and they, they have nothing but great things to say about it. Yeah, I must say I'm really jealous. <laughs> about this program. I wish it went on when, uh, when I graduated, it would have been amazing. I, I, I agree with you. I, I, the same thing here. Yeah. Like, wow. From our generation, these, these types of trainings didn't even exist. No. Wow. Yeah. I mean, and the nice thing too, uh, I mean, with everything that you described, the integration, the complex cases, I think that's going to be huge in our research in the future, personally, especially the complicated cases. Uh, there, I think there's some evidence in the research that uh, we may be able to uh, save some dollars in the Medicare population uh, with people that have these complicated cases. We need a ton more research for that. But wow, what an opportunity for chiropractors. Yes, we think it's. Uh, I think we we're really just scratching the surface of the types of opportunities and the types of bridges that these interprofessional training programs can uh, can yield. So, where do you see the future of chiropractic going in the VA these days? Well, we definitely haven't reached our cruising altitude yet. We still know that. Um, for all of the expansion we have seen, we know that we're not reaching um, all the veterans who could be appropriate candidates for chiropractic care. And, um, and we're aware of that. We know we have more work to do. And we're in the process of an expansion. There was um, 
in 2018, there was another congressional authorization for VA to expand its number of chiropractic clinics even further. Um, and essentially, we we have been on a on a trajectory of adding about four to five clinics each year over the past several fiscal years. And this, so that had been sort of our natural history, if you will. Uh, this, this legislation will now require us to expand a little bit faster at about, about, about six, to, to, uh, six to seven sites per year in a four-year period. So it does, it does bump our, our uh, growth uh, rate a little bit. And we, uh, what we, I could tell you now compared to 2004 when VA first started this uh, chiropractic uh, initiative, and as I mentioned, there was a good deal of mixed opinion and some some very skeptical uh, decision makers about the utility of chiropractic care. Whereas right now, I can tell you that may still be there to some extent, but it is it has dramatically changed. Where there is such a uh, a greater desire among decision makers to want to include chiropractic care as part of the armamentarium of, of evidence-based non-pharmacological approaches so that we're, we're really seeing very, very little of the type of resistance to chiropractic in general. And now what we're just facing is that this typical type of resource allocation and, and systematic change that, that takes place at any type of large system, uh, meaning that you can't just flip a switch and have two chiropractors at every hospital overnight, that, that there's this sort of growth process. And, and I think that we're, we've crossed this threshold now where we have enough of a critical mass of chiropractors in VA who have been doing very good work for, for 14 plus years now, and that that is really helping to, to move the needle on, on the, the folks who, who haven't brought it in-house yet and, and seeing the, the positive results, seeing some of the data that have been published, and, and it really is, um, I think, an, a very important opportunity, at least in the VA system, for the expansion of chiropractic care because it helps serve the veterans, uh, it, that it really is something that providers and patients alike want, and the chiropractic profession is well positioned to, to help serve this need. Mm, yeah, very good. Very good. Well, speaking about uh, serving the veterans and the benefits that they may receive and, and how we're getting more chiropractors into the VA system, I'd like to continue talking about the research. Uh, the most recent paper, I believe, that you published is in Pain Medicine, and it is entitled Opioid Use Among Veterans of Recent Wars Receiving Veterans Affairs Chiropractic Care. Could you guide us through this paper, and what are some of the key points uh, that you'd make about it? Sure, I'd be glad to. One of the, one of the um, important opportunities in in the VA system is the ability to look at large data sets because VA, all the facilities work on the same electronic health record and we can, we can assess administrative data. So with a number of colleagues uh, at, at 
VA Connecticut and Yale, where, where, um, where I'm fortunate to have a, a number of, of, of very um, successful research colleagues that partner on this, had uh, a, an existing data set that looked at specifically the younger veterans, those from the conflicts in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so we were able to use this cohort and using an informatics assessment process that, that is, is well validated, identify all the veterans from that younger age group who had received chiropractic care in a 10-year period in VA facilities. And, and we found uh, a little over 14,000 individual veterans who had received chiropractic care during that time frame. Um, what we realized is that, first of all, just looking at the characteristics of these patients, they tended to have a high illness burden, that more than half of them had moderate or severe pain scores. Uh, more than half of them had a diagnosis of, of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and about half had depression. Uh, so this was a, a cohort of essentially younger folks who had chronic musculoskeletal pain problems, but also an additional comorbid illness burden. And about a third, or just about 31% of, the, of those folks had also received an opioid prescription, plus or minus 90 days of the uh, index chiropractic visit. And that is essentially the background prevalence of opioid use in the that veteran population. So at first we thought that was surprising. We had thought that the, the rates might have been lower when patients had chiropractic care. But we looked at the timing of the receipt of the opioid, uh, uh, the opioid prescription being filled, and, and this was the real telling data that we looked at three 30-day windows before their index chiropractic visit and three 30-day windows after. And in in each time frame before the visit, the percentage of the veteran population receiving chiropractic receiving an opioid was much higher than in any of the time frames after. So it was about as high as about 16% of the of that veteran population was receiving an opioid before they saw the chiropractor, down to about as low as about uh, 12% or 11.5% afterwards. Now, this was just an observational study, and we didn't compare other types of treatments the veterans may have been receiving or, or, or what, what else could explain that. But in this, in this relatively large number, so this was over 4,000, know, out of the 14,000, there were 4,300 that had also received this, the opioid. Um, so in that number of 4,300 veterans, the fact that there was this really noticeable trend of less use of opioids after the chiropractic visit than before was was pretty striking and this now gives us a um, some starting point some food for thought and uh, to develop further studies to look at this more in more detailed fashion using both administrative data sets um, of veterans of all conflicts so of all age groups and then also to, to build some type of prospective cohorts to assess the, uh, the impact of chiropractic service use on opioid use. And we have a great deal of interest. Uh, VA has a big commitment to expanding the availability of 
evidence-based non-pharmacological treatments for chronic musculoskeletal pain. And the things that chiropractors do that are part of this current clinical practice guidelines, things like spinal manipulation, exercise, massage-type therapies, uh, acupuncture, a lot of things like that that chiropractors can provide are really are key with what VA is looking to do for its patient population now. All right, excellent. Well, I was really keen on reading through that paper and from the discussion, uh, I'll just pick out one quote because I thought it was great. Uh, it says, our results along with the previous literature suggest that expanding access to chiropractic care uh, should be a, poli- a key policy consideration for the VA, congruent with national initiatives aimed to increase the use of evidence-based non-pharmacological treatments for chronic musculoskeletal pain. So I know you already said that, but it, I wanted to get that quote out there. I thought that was just a, a terrific quote. So thanks for going through that paper. Uh, I do want to talk about uh, another one or two papers, if we could, um, Another one that I thought was fascinating was about chiropractic integration into private sector medical facilities. And this was published uh, through Journal of Alternative and Complementary Medicine, again in 2018. Can you guide us through what that paper was discussing? Sure. This paper was uh, a collaborative project with colleagues at uh, at Palmer Center for Chiropractic Research and was was funded by the NCMIC Foundation, and we we did a uh, very similar type of qualitative assessment of a group of chiropractic clinics in private sector medical facilities, similar to the project that I mentioned that we did on the VA facilities. We use the same type of methodology of a um, of a health services. Uh, case uh, case series um, assessment and um, uh, interviewed stakeholders at a number of different private sector facilities that we we intentionally selected for for variation so some were specifically focused on spine spine centers let's say at a hospital others were more general in the complementary and integrative health or, or the previously called CAM type centers. Uh, some were just in uh, orthopedics, some were at community health facilities serving the underserved, and even we even did one or two that were employee health facilities located on site at, at large employer groups and um, uh, large employers. And we found some very, very surprising, or maybe not surprising, similar themes as to what we learned about the implementation of chiropractic care in in the VA facilities. Um, So uh, one common theme was the variation in the the level of acceptance and willingness. So for, for clinics that had been implemented 10, 15, sometimes even 20 years in the past, it was a much bigger struggle in the initial stages of implementation because of the the uh, uncertainty of the value of chiropractic care. Whereas those that were implemented more recently, let's say within the past two to five years, usually were, were welcomed with much more um, 
acceptance or, or were, were sort of planned and sought out in a, in a much more active way for the, for the perceived value of chiropractic care. Uh, we also found that the attributes of the chiropractors that, what, that the, the non-chiropractic subjects told us, so medical physicians or, or nurses or PAs or, or even senior level administrators, the, the types of attributes that these folks told us they liked in their chiropractors were, uh, once again, the very high clinical competence, a high level of, of clinical acumen, but the ability to co-manage, to collaborate, um, to handle complex cases as part of a team, and to, to be a good communicator and a good collegial team player. And, and those types of attributes are are known to be important uh, for for providers of other disciplines as well. Um, but many times chiropractors in their training haven't had those opportunities to collaborate and co-manage complex cases with others. So, so the fact that there is this cadre of folks out there who, who were able to obtain those types of qualifications or, or attributes over, over the years is, is interesting and, and gives us more, more motivation to build more of those residency training programs that I mentioned before. Um, and and the, the, the thing that I guess I, I, one other thing I would add is that in addition to the clinical acumen in general, but the evidence-based practice, the fact that the chiropractors in these facilities all practiced in a way that was very congruent with the evidence that spoke the language of science and could have the appropriate conversations with the, the colleagues in other disciplines um, about the utility and the value and the risk benefit of chiropractic care, that that was seen as a really important barometer of success for the chiropractor. Um, and then lastly, um, in all of the sites that we visited, the the, uh, the the impression was a very high satisfaction with the chiropractic care, both at, at a, a provider level. So the other providers were very satisfied to have this as an option that they can use when when in their treatment plans that they could refer their patients to chiropractors was was viewed as an important uh, consideration for these providers. Patients that we spoke to said they were very happy and grateful for the the access. The chiropractors themselves were very satisfied in their positions. They really enjoyed being part of the team. And and the senior decision makers or administrators were were happy to have this as an option in their systems and in, in some cases had actually had data showing that the use of chiropractic care was helping them save money, in particular in, in, in decreasing inappropriate visits to the emergency room and decreasing inappropriate uh, use of advanced imaging. That was viewed as a very positive attribute. So very interesting to see these parallels with the qualitative work that we've learned in VA that, that shows when you are able to have a high-quality DC who's evidence-based and interprofessional and collegial, and he or she can begin working in a receptive facility, then 
successful things happen at the end. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I, I really appreciate you going through that summary of the article and, and all of the uh, findings that, that you had there. Uh, I just want to pick out a few of the quotes again from the article. I, I just think these are fantastic. So one of them was that virtually all chiropractors described their uh, clinical practice as full scope diagnosis and management of musculoskeletal and neuromuscular conditions. Um, here's a a uh, quote from a neurologist saying, my impression is the chiropractors provide really good medical care and in an integrated way and in a safe way. Fantastic. And then the, the last one that I'll share was from an administrative executive director who says the chiropractors gainy scores are off the chart above the 90th percentile in all areas, access to care, follow through satisfaction with the office, satisfaction with patient care, satisfaction with testing everything. Now I have to admit, I don't particularly know what Ganey scores are, but that sounds impressive. <laughs> yes. Those are, those are some good things you picked up. Ganey scores are a measure of, um, of patient satisfaction that hospitals or other, or medical systems uh, often use. It's a, it's a type of, uh, of, of way to measure patient satisfaction. And I, I think you chose three really, uh, um, Key, key quotes because it does summarize that when, when a system decides they want to uh, have a chiropractor or a group of chiropractors, uh, and, and we've seen this in VA as well, it, it usually, uh, almost without exception, wants the chiropractor to function at the peak of their license. So, so having hiring a provider of any type and, and having him or her not function at the peak of their license is not efficient for a system. And so the, the chiropractic training and licensure really fits in well and, and, and the DCs are able to contribute in their, uh, at the full scope of their ability. And the fact that patients are highly satisfied and other providers are highly satisfied really is, is the key. And we know as you you mentioned this earlier in the interview as well. We still need to collect more data. We, we don't have everything figured out. We, we, we need to collect more data, frankly, on how we can best optimize chiropractic care. We, uh, I think for a, and this applies both in VA as well as in the private sector, for, for uh, the chiropractic profession, there have been a great deal of emphasis placed on research projects that could show that chiropractic care was effective and useful and, and, and valuable and provided value to a system. And that, that's all great. We need to show that, and we, we have shown it, and we need to do more. But we also have an obligation to try to find out how we can do things even better, how we can improve on chiropractic care at the at the side of delivery from the, the the individual chiropractor working with the patient as well as the pathways to access when is it best to have a patient get to see the chiropractor on day one versus on day 10 or when when is it uh, when is it best to have the patient not see the chiropractor go see someone else these are all types of of questions that we we need to uh, spend a good deal of effort on to improve the outcomes of chiropractic care and you bring even more value to the systems. 
So I think it's great that in, in the papers that you mentioned that we have already, we've shown that there is value and there's a perception of, of the, the way that chiropractors impact the system. And, and now I, 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 would, I would propose that for the next decade, the chiropractic profession, our challenge is to take our research to the next level of how can we be even better at what we do. And that could be everything from basic science to, to um, health services to, uh, to, to clinical systems that would need to be assessed. Very well said. I appreciate all of that feedback and <clears throat> couldn't agree more with you. I think that's where we need to go. Uh, we just need to keep stepping things up. It's nice to have some positive uh, research. But wow, how much more we could do with even that much more research and more integration. We'll see more patients. And I think that's what it's all about. And I think it's great that I don't have any, any hard data on this, but my sense is that more and more uh, young chiropractors or, or those uh, who are in D.C. school right now, uh, they, I think they seem to have a an intuitive understanding of this and, and perhaps the average uh, DC student, if there is such a thing, I, I would, I would, I would hypothesize that the average DC student today is much more understanding of the importance of research and, and the role of research to inform clinical care than 20 plus years ago, let's say when you and I were in school and and I, I find that very encouraging, uh, and I also find it um, uh, motivation motivating uh, for the profession to realize that we we need to uh, sort of cultivate and nurture this this next group of 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 researchers, both those who will be classic scientists, PhD trained researchers as well as those who will be more of the clinician-scientist vein, someone who, who stays in the clinic but is connected and, and doing some research or facilitating research. And, and, and I think we have a great opportunity as a profession to help move along our, our, our bright young DCs coming through. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Well, if... Uh if you have the time, I'd like to ask you about one other paper. We can keep it brief, but I wanted sure. to talk about the uh, the use of Department of Veterans Affairs administrative data to identify veterans with acute low back pain. This was a pilot study, and it came out in spine of 2014. Could you tell us about that paper as well? Sure. So this is um, one of the, the, the sort of the strengths and weaknesses of having a large data set uh, co uh, comes down to the you, you could have large numbers of uh, patient encounters to assess, but the the granularity or the level of detail that can be extracted is limited to things that are coded, let's say either by CPT codes or, or ICD codes or or other types of of um, EHR data that fall into data fields that can be harvested and, and analyzed 
as opposed to textual data. In other words, if a, if a provider writes a, a note, either dictates a note or otherwise types it into an EHR, typically the vast majority of that information is shows up as text. So it's it's not easy to harvest that in a in an efficient means to, to be able to do uh, meaningful research on, on large numbers of patients. So case in point, we know that there are large numbers of veterans who are seen in VA clinics for visits that are coded with ICD codes for back pain. And um, but we, we don't have a way to parse that out uh, at, a, at, a, at a high level, more specifically to levels of chronicity or, or severity and, and, and patterns of care. So this was the first step in a, in a line of, of projects that we're, we're hoping to do. We, we, have, we have one other that's in the works right now, where we looked at patients who had a low back pain diagnosis, and then we actually did a, a sub uh, set of those that were that a chart review was done so someone actually went in and read the provider's notes that corresponded to the visits with the low back pain diagnosis and we identified the the ones who were being seen for an acute problem or or an acute exacerbation of a chronic problem but something that was prompting the veteran to seek care or worsening of low back pain um, and then we were able to analyze that in connection with elements from the data fields that could be harvested from the EHR. And we found this, this profile of, um, of, of findings that, that when, when all were present, uh, I shouldn't say findings, meaning clinical findings, I mean um, this profile of characteristics. So... If, if we had a case that had low back pain in, in the population we assessed, which was just one um, a group of, of the younger veterans, once again, at, at one VA facility. And so in this population, if the, if the patient had a low back pain visit or a visit coded with a low back pain ICD code um, and also had either a lumbar MRI, uh, a prescription for tramadol, a prescription for a muscle relaxant uh, like cyclobenzaprine, um, uh, and a physical, th- a physical therapy order or the addition of a new ICD low back pain code to their record, then the, the, about 78% of those were more were acute cases. So we were able to have this model of these five variables that could be used to uh, to to identify or to predict the, the the patients that were more likely to be acute than chronic, and this type of decision model now we're we're looking at building that or or of validating that on a larger population that will enable us to more readily be able to parse out different types of low back pain cases using large administrative databases and then be able to assess the different care pathways that that, that uh, the patients receive. And that may help, as I mentioned earlier, that could potentially help and identify the optimal 
points of access or the optimal sequencing of treatments for patients with, uh, let's say, acute low back pain, if one of our goals is to uh, is to be able to to uh, structure care so that patients with acute low back pain can have access to non-farm therapies as a frontline treatment, we we uh, can use this way to model that and 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 see what's working and what's not in the system. So as, as with, um, as, as with, uh, VA care for back pain, even aside from chiropractic, so this, this study didn't focus on chiropractic patients. These were just back pain patients. This will give us some, if we can replicate and expand this and get, get, um, a better decision model, it will help us identify the uh, optimal pathways perhaps to, to provide less care for acute versus chronic low back pain patients in VA, and, and that will certainly include appropriate use of chiropractic care. Oh, that's really interesting. I, and I appreciate, again, uh, you going through that. It's, uh, it's quite clear what you did, and <clears throat> it just, it's a little bit amazing that uh, system such as the VA wouldn't already have like the ability to stratify maybe even beyond ICD-10 codes. Uh, I get frustrated with them myself. And for example, I'm just thinking, you know, if I wanted a code, let's say if I thought somebody had a disc herniation, but I don't have an MRI, you know, I'm just using my clinical acumen, (laughs) so to speak. Uh, I feel kind of handicapped actually. And so I know what it's like uh, using some of those more generic codes. I agree. And, and I should say that I think some of this is because the VA EHR was very advanced when it was implemented. It was one of the, at the forefront of EHRs, uh, two, two decades ago. Um, but it is, it is showing its age now and, and VA is actually in the process of updating our EHRs. We're switching over to a, um, a product that's going to be, uh, a Cerner based EHR. Um, but I think with, 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 with all EHRs, there, there are strengths and weaknesses with the level of granularity, uh, and the level of provider involvement. So uh, from a clinician standpoint, you, you'd like to have the least, um, least time burden when it comes to documenting and, and like to document in an efficient way. And for, but from a system perspective, we'd like all clinicians to be giving us a boatload more data as part of routine, <laughs> yeah. routine care, and that's really the balance, the, the burden versus the utility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very well said there. <laughs> well, uh, Dr. Lisi, a goal of this podcast is to motivate and assist practitioners and students alike to pursue uh, research careers in chiropractic science. Can you offer any advice to aspiring chiropractors or, or students who may wish to become scientists or researchers in the future? Uh, sure. I think the, the best advice is to seek out mentors. And, uh, well, the first is to, to uh, as, as uh, one of uh, sort of an, an older generation of the chiropractic profession now, the first thing is that it's, it's incumbent on, on folks of my generation to create more training opportunities for people who do want to go into research so that a bright DC who is graduating from chiropractic college could perhaps apply to a research fellowship 
to to get that type of of formal mentorship and training. Um, in and we we have a few examples of those that are that are have been launched and are being piloted, and we're hoping to get more, but they're still very very few and far between. So that would be when those exist, it would be to capitalize on that. When those type of training programs don't exist, it would be to seek out mentors that can uh, be found either at chiropractic educational institutions or other um, academic centers that in which chiropractors are are conducting some research, and um, and to think uh, to, to think as as part of a plan, even the most motivated and advanced. Uh, right chiropractic graduate can't get out and practice and think that he or she is going to be the primary investigator on a large randomized controlled trial at first. It's appropriate to think of achievable projects that you can learn from and grow with and and have that balance of of, um, being mentored in research while still keeping the, the presence in the clinical world. And 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 one other thought is that this young generation, I think, has the ability to demand more of these opportunities from the chiropractic profession. And so if, if DC students now think it's a great idea to have more research training programs and to, to have more of these opportunities, I think they're a voice that could advocate for this among our schools and our professional organizations to to let them know that these are priorities that the profession on a whole needs to be developing and so that we can we know we can't provide these opportunities for 90% or 50% or maybe even 10% of our graduates but if we can provide them for uh, enough that they can be the tip of the spear so to speak to help lead the lead the next group of the profession in these areas mm, I love that thanks for sharing that wisdom uh you know, anything we can do to, to get more chiropractors into research is what I'm looking for. So fantastic. Well, Dr. Lisi, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. It's been a lot of fun. This has been great. I, I'm grateful for the opportunity. And, and uh, I, I know you were focusing on my work, but I, I really have to thank you for everything that you've done in, in your work, both as a researcher and an educator, but now yeah, as a journalist and getting this um, getting this information out more or, or, or providing these venues to, um, to inform and educate the, the profession and others about the utility of research and chiropractic care. So kudos to you and thank you so much for having me. It was a, it was a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Chiropractic Science with Dr. Anthony Lisi. I hope you enjoyed the interview. We've got more great interviews coming up. Stay tuned.